another episode of the Courtside Conference Podcast. I am your host, Sam Scott. With me today is the boss man, Derek. What's going on? How you doing, bro? And our special guest, Mr. Matt Letterman from NBC Boston. What's up, guys? How you doing today, Matt? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. I can't complain. It's a, a nice day for the Sixers, I'll tell you that. <laughs> pretty good couple weeks for y'all look after i mean the last decade it's anything <laughs> good, so. right right how's the family holding up actually you know pretty good uh can't really complain but pretty blessed uh the kids are you know taking their situation in stride uh my wife and i are both uh set up nicely remotely here so uh Right. Can't really complain. How about you guys? Sure. Good? Yes, sir. I'm hanging in there. Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a homebody Dr- anyway, so I love it. Yeah, <laughs> nice. dread going, going back to work tonight after my weekend off, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. but um, your daughter got the like the online school and set up from the house. Yeah, so the uh, the four year old's back in, in preschool in person, um, but the eight year old is fully remote um for third grade it's you know it seems tough you know for us but she you know she's doing you know no complaints she's she's getting through it i mean it's not of course it's not exactly like it would be uh in person it's definitely not as good but you know we don't really have a choice so yeah i feel that that's good that's good ready for this hectic um day tomorrow I don't know if ready's the word. I'm just ready for Wednesday, to be honest. (laughs) Sleep the whole day through tomorrow. That would be great. But you know what? We'll survive, hopefully. Yes, sir. We always do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go. Let's talk hoops now. What we came here for. So you're a Citrus fan, right? I am, unfortunately. It's not a choice. (laughs) You from Philly? I'm from Philadelphia. That's why... uh, Allen Iverson got me, and uh, I've never looked back. Gotcha. So, what? Uh, Ryan, what year was that? Was that the MVP or the years prior to that? that he so, got right when board? they drafted him, um, you know, I was I was in like fifth or sixth grade when they drafted him, and um, that's kind of the buzz started around the city. Uh, you know, in Philly, it's really about uh, the Eagles, and then whatever team is good. So, if the you know, if the Eagles are bad, people still care about them. But, uh, you know, the Sixers really kind of need to be good for for them to have a, a big following. And Iverson was really exciting. Uh, he was crossing up Jordan. And, you know, then that uh, strike-shortened year is when I first really started uh, following the team. And then, yeah, that led right into the, the finals around the MVP. And, you know, that was pretty much the peak of Iverson uh, in Philly. But, you know that one glorious year it was great and it was enough to hook me so definitely though that obviously was the um, the first jersey i ever owned when i was a kid that was like was first... i had the um, i had the blue scissors jersey when i was in like pre-k or something <laughs> oh nice those are awesome yeah i had an iguodala blue one but uh i lost it and then i had another iguodala that i that got uh mustard on it at a celtics game Oh man! <laughs> but, and the Celtics and the Sixers were good at that point. This was like the early two thousands, and the Celtics were bad. It was before the big three, yeah, and yeah. the uh, the Six were still off. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, Philly was like a basketball town in the nineties prior to drafting him. Where the 
No, not that I remember. I remember going to games. I mean, we would go for school, like for like school trips. We got to go once. That was the first game I went to. And I had no idea even like how to play basketball. I was just in like yelling rebound. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> It was a fun adventure and um, yeah, nobody, it was, it was, it's always been the Eagles there, like Randall Cunningham, uh, you know, even the Ray Rhodes era, Rodney Pete, all that stuff. People just only cared about the Eagles and the Phillies were bad after the, you know, the 92 season and the strike in baseball and the Flyers too. The Flyers were always good. I mean, I was probably more of a Flyers fan, but um, the Sixers really Iverson's what ignited that uh, that passion in the city, and obviously the '80s. I was too little uh, to remember. Yeah, but so they won the last title in the '80s, huh? Yeah, no, and they were, it was great rivalry with Boston, um, and also, you know, with the Lakers. So that's where I feel like I really connect with Celtics fans is my hatred for the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> always, always watching, always on. Glad to have another trooper on board for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's up, though. And what year did um, Iverson leave? Like, oh, seven, oh, eight? I think it was oh, oh, five or oh, oh, six, maybe, or oh, six or oh, seven when they traded him to Denver. I remember yeah. them in, they re signed him in oh, nine. Uh, yeah, I remember on that one. 11, uh, 28 on November 28th, I remember. <laughs> uh, it was also the day I got married, so that's why I really remember it. Uh, nice. Like, oh, it's the, the best day of my life. The Sixers re-signed Allen Iverson. Um, but no, that's what that's a fun way to remember it. So yeah, it was a couple of years before they traded him for Andre Miller, and I don't remember what else, but um it was a freaking disaster. Uh you know, the trade I don't remember being terrible, but it was like he was it was his time to go. But it was yeah. just there was just never any hope in Philly again until mm-hmm. this new era came in, uh, which is why. I was always a supporter of the process because to me, it was like, just have a plan. Like, I don't care yeah. if it's too bad. Like just, I need a direction, I need a, like a philosophy or plan. Cause it was still just like, let's just go do bad trades and try to get like a mediocre <laughs> player and be the eight seed and losing the first round. And to me, that was just like, man, I love why I love following draft prospects and stuff. Let's just be bad. Let's tank and let's obsess over draft boards for all season instead of actually watching the team. How did you yeah. think that plan went, went according this year? Like, what do you think about that one? Which one? What do you think the about process. The, the whole process, yeah, with, with the roster this year? Oh, this year was a disaster because, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to dunk on Elton Brand too much because I just don't know who was making those decisions. But yeah. signing Al Horford, I mean, we all kind of convinced ourselves that that was a good idea after but nobody was like, man, the Sixers should sign Al Horford because it just didn't make sense. It was, no, the Sixers should get more shooters. Yeah. I get that Al's a good shooter for a center, yeah. but he's not like J.J. Reddick. Uh, he's, so he's not your primary shooter. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, it was just an awful fit. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I Tobias's deal was bad, but at the end of the day, you traded all those assets. You probably have to keep them. Yeah, and the market is is what sets that price. Um, I still think if you're gonna if more is gonna come in and, and move anybody, he'll probably try to move Al because I think that yeah, you know, there's just I think that Al can be good still. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a bad basketball player now. I think that you know he's overpaid, but you know that just happens. 
and there's teams that can absorb that and really benefit from him. Uh, the Sixers just aren't that team. They just can't. He's just an absolute uh, albatross on that team with that contract. So, and I think Tobias can work. I think Tobias can work. Uh, you know, he can still improve, and he's you know got a great uh, attitude, good locker room guy. He seems to be a hard worker. Seems to really come back uh, with a little bit improvement in certain areas every year. So. It is what it is, you know. I mean, we'll see. Daryl Morey could just blow the whole thing up for all we know, but hey, um, I Al Horford out of his contract, let him come back home. I well, like I, what about this? What about <laughs> I, they won't do it because they don't want to help each other? But right. Gordon Hayward for Al Horford—that's not crazy. Someone uh, jokingly tweeted that at me. I was like, look, that I think helps both teams. I mean, because Al Horford off the off the Sixers. I mean, I don't know though. I think Gordon's valuable to the Celtics. I don't think they would trade him. Yeah. yeah. But then that then we'd have Al Horford's like super big contract that we didn't that he opted out so we couldn't pay him. So. Pay, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well I mean look Danny I'm pretty sure uh if he was being honest would to- have told Al yeah take that contract. Are you crazy? That's so much absolutely money. I would have told him to take the contract. <laughs> yeah. Ten times out of ten. <laughs> it's not well, his fault. If you some of the <laughs> Scout tells a story about when he was with the Nets uh out in free agency, uh, he went back to, I think it was Rod Thorne at the time that was running the Nets, and said, "Hey, I got this contract offer from Danny, uh, Danny Ainge and the Celtics. Uh, what do you, you know, what do you think?" And he was like, "I think you're gonna have a great time in Boston. You know, we're just <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not ever gonna offer you that much money. So don't, you better find that fast before uh, they wake up and realize what they're doing." So. Yeah. Uh, you know, players got to, you know, look out for, look, if they can, if you could sign for $109 million. I would recommend it every time. <laughs> single time. I, look, I'm, I would sign for $109,000. I would sign for $109. I mean, exactly. <laughs> I feel that. Um, it's a funny story about the day Horford signed in Philly on the first day of free agency. We were all like talking in a group chat with my friend JJ. He was like, yeah, what if um, Al goes to Philly? And this is like a couple of hours before like the whole thing starts. It started like, what, 3 o'clock that day, I think? Yeah. So. Like, yeah, yeah. And, Al, and Al signed around like maybe 7-ish or so. He's like, so what if the Sixers are the mystery team on Horford? I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I was like, <laughs> I was like he doesn't fit, and they don't even have the money for that because they're going to max out Harris. He's like, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. And like some hours later, we we're just like kicking it, and then the the Woj bar comes through. I was like, come on. <laughs> He's uh, like, see, I told you, I told you. <laughs> oh man, we we were on we so we did a free agency special uh, uh, at NBC, and we we were on for a couple hours, or maybe it was just an hour or so. No, we were definitely on for a couple hours because it, you know it wasn't that long after I went back to my desk after we were off air that the Woj bomb hit on our phones, and we're just like, oh. We got to go back on TV now. Al Horford just signed it. And I'm I'm with another. I work with another Sixers fan, and we we're just like, oh, okay. I mean, at least he can't defend and beat anymore. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but it was still at them. We we're just like, I mean, I guess it's not bad. But I none of us could have seen what a disaster. I mean, we should have, but we couldn't. Uh, what a disaster that fit would be. But we'll see. Right. Oh, it's kind of wait and see, but you have had a pretty eventful offseason. You fired yeah. your coach, you hired Doc Rivers, you um, got Daryl Boy. I thought y'all were going to sign Mike Dan and Tony, and I was really rude for that one. 
Yeah. Just like no, you're some funny. cheap laughs here and there. <laughs> it's funny because uh, Dan Tony was uh, an assistant for Brett Brown a couple of years ago before going to Houston. And there was pressure from ownership uh, to fire Brett and because they liked Dan Tony. Um, but I think they just thought it would look too bad um, to kind of just dump Brett after he just suffered through all those bad rosters. You know, so they gave him more than a fair chance to prove that he was worth uh, keeping around. And, you know, he didn't uh, he didn't end up, you know, finish. I think, you know, Brett seems like a great guy, but too many of the like rah rah speeches and, you know, that ring hollow after a while, you know, yeah. you need to, yeah. be able to back it up. And what I always told people, because before um, when Doc left the Clippers, I was texting my brother, I'm like, I want the Sixers to sign him so bad because. He's a great motivator. Oh man, some of the stories that the 08 guys tell about all the little tricks that, or like little tiny little things he would do that just, that are just perfect. Uh, and he's got a ring. He's got a ring. He's a good motivator, but he's not like in every conversation talking about the spirit of the team, blah, 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 like Brett Brown did. Um, but, and he's great with the media. He's super nice. Uh, and he's a good coach. I mean, he's got, I think some questions to answer about uh, his playoff track record since leaving Boston, but um, I'm more than willing to, to accept that in Philly because they just needed somebody that's been there that has guided a team full of uh, alphas that maybe don't mix or didn't have a mix together before getting them on the same page and, and take them to the promised land. And he did that in Boston. Uh, he didn't, ultimately do that with LA but he you know the best run of Clippers basketball by far in their history was well, him as coach yeah and then then get Daryl Morey was just like again it was another one of those things where as soon as he left Houston I was like Sixers because if you had asked me before he was available what what person would you want to if you could pick anybody to fix that roster I think Masai is probably the best GM right now in basketball but Daryl Morey I think is the best for the task of fixing the Sixers because how many times do we think that he was stuck with a, a certain type of roster in Houston sure. and he so just the was, Houston roster at least right. what, every other year, maybe. Yeah. And he signed like one year he signed like seven unguaranteed guys, then immediately traded them to the Clippers for, for Chris, Chris Paul. Paul. And then the Clippers could just, uh, could just let them go because their guarantee ran out. And, uh, it was just so genius, like some of those little tricks he pulled to be able to to reset his roster around Harden a couple different times. And, yeah, you know, especially um, the post-Dwight years, yep. how fast of a turnaround that was from them being, what was the eighth seed, I think, his last year there, to them winning, um, back to winning 50 games that Harden was an MVP guy again, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we all, we how many times did we count them out? And even this year, just, and people are always like, you know, a lot of the, the talking about the Maury hiring about like the, this Sixers roster is like the exact opposite of what he had in Houston. Is he going to still try to run like the small ball and stuff? And I think what he was good at is not just like a philosophy in a certain way you have to play, but in just maximizing what, what he had on his roster. And he went, mm -hmm. he really leaned into small ball, the micro ball with PJ Tucker at center, Robert Covington at center. Obviously, he's not going to do that in Philly because, you know, mm -hmm. the best player is a center. Um, so, I mean, I'm interested to see what he does. You know, he's not – I don't think he's a one-trick pony only small ball because 
that's just simply not going to work. No. Yeah. Because you have a, a point guard who's like literally the opposite of James Harden, who can't shoot. Harden was, you know, is like one of the most lethal shooters ever. Um, and Ben Simmons won't shoot. Not only can't he can't shoot, he won't. You know, I'm interested to see what they do, but I think the main focus needs to be finding a way to free up some space by moving uh, Al Horford. And I know people are going to talk about moving Tobias, but Tobias is a guy I think that gets moved if you're trading one of the stars, and I don't like that. Yeah. So let's say this uh, coming season ends pretty much in disappointment again. Are you trading one of the big two? I'm not, but they are for sure. I bet you know. I I, I see what you're saying. I wouldn't because I'm just, but I'm a fan. You know, I'm not yeah. lying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, got, I feel like you shouldn't. I feel like you shouldn't have such a short leash with the with them since they are relatively young. Simmons mm-hmm. is like 23, 24, same age yeah. as Jalen. I think. I think so. And then B does be 27 this year. Yeah, I think at the end of the year, he'll be 27. Yeah, so even, like, if it's not working, you still should probably still try to get those best years out of Joel, at least until he's 30. Like, just, I mean, to, like, what's really the end goal if you do move him, though? Right. I I think that um, it would be really difficult uh, for that franchise to move and beat. I know Simmons is a, a little bit of a hot and cold relationship with the fan base, but I mean, Embiid is beloved. Um, yeah. He'll get dunked on on by, you know, talk radio guys because that's just how it is in most cities. But, um, you know, for conditioning and stuff like that. But he's just so good. He's, he's you know, he is one of the – and Simmons is the chance to as well. Be one of the best Sixers ever, which on that franchise is, you know, that's saying a lot. You know, that's like when we talk about Tatum, you know, all the things he's doing. Like, he's like – you can almost already, you know, put a zero up in the rafters. I mean, that's how good he is, how his trajectory yeah. is. And, and that's like uh, Embiid and Simmons, and especially Embiid. Like, Kevin McHale was on one of the broadcasts uh, this past season, you know, just talking about how, you know, if if Joe wins just, a, like, all he needs to do is win one championship, and, and there's a statue, you know, outside oh, this arena, sure. you know. And all he has to do is make her finals, and he just uh... – Iverson-esque type love too. If he just gets there one time, exactly, exactly. I mean that it does not take much. It's not Boston. Boston, it's like it's you better win and you better win a lot. Or oh, hey, you know, they're just you know, there's just so many championships. Um, but in Philly, there's just not. There's not a lot. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what happens with the Eagles if uh, if the honeymoon is finally over after that Super Bowl. But uh, I feel like we know. sold our souls to get that championship. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad <laughs> yeah i felt bad for the nation watching that game last night <laughs> oh boy it was gross carson it was horrible <laughs> i tell you though you know what you know carson Car- i know we're off topic here but carson once reminds me a lot of andrew luck with the colts where it was like yeah. this really super hot promising prospect starting like oh my god that's the next peyton manning or tom brady uh and then no offensive line injuries and just keep getting judged by his poor play. But, you know, and Carson's making some bad throws for sure, but God, he's pressured. They had a graphic on, on Sunday night football, where just showed he's by far the most hit and pressured quarterback in the entire league. Yeah. For sure. And so. the year y'all did when it, he was on fire before he got hurt that year. Sure. Right. Right. I, yeah. I gave up on the season when he got hurt. I was like, our MVP's injured. Me We're too. getting ready for next year. 
Um, and then, you know, they won the first series or the first uh, round against Atlanta. I think that's what it was. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's cute. This is adorable. Oh, that's the Hawks. <laughs> I mean, it's right. the Hawks. <laughs> right. And then, and then it was, I think it was the Vikings next. It was like, uh, and then there was like a conference championship game. It's like, all right, well, now we're in it. And then it was the Patriots. I'm like, all right. They're not going to win. I'm not even going to watch. This is going to be whatever. And then they won, of course. I, of course I watched, but I'm still not sure they actually won. I still don't believe it. But <laughs> yeah. so, if, uh, so if Ben and Joel were to get one, would that top the Super Bowl for you? Yeah, it would. Uh, but that's not normal. I'm different. I, like, I think everyone wanted the Eagles. Uh, like, when the Phillies won, I remember, uh, you know, that was the first championship in my life when the Phillies won in 08. Um, and I just remember being like, this is great and all, but, um, it doesn't feel like I, I wanted either like a flyer Stanley cup or a Sixers championship. Uh, and you know, obviously the Eagles, I wanted a super bowl, but for some reason, I've just always been more into the, uh, into basketball and into the Sixers specifically, especially with the process and everything. Like, it just feels like we've grown together, me and the Sixers, uh, you know, through the tanking, through all those hard years, although. I got league pass to watch the Warriors, not to watch Nerlens Noel and Joel o- or uh, <laughs> and Jalil Okafor. So, oh, man. I could yeah. opt out of watching uh, the poor fans <laughs> that were like ticket holders. Not so much. Yeah, right. I have a um, coworker who's a Sixers fan. He was telling me that this season he kind of like clocked out about midway through, so it just wasn't any fun watching. It it did. It was challenging at times, but what's nice is that the Sixers and the Celtics play at the same time almost every night. So I DVR the um, either DVR the Sixers if they're on TV or I just watch it on league pass after the Celtics game, but I know what happened. So if they lose, I just don't watch. So it was great for me. I only saw them win. Well, y'all beat us the first three times of the season. That one loss yeah. was like super miserable at that. So I think it was the one in Philly, the second one where we blew like the lead, just, unprovoked blue to lead at that <laughs> yeah i tell you though i i i gave and everyone's worried about that matchup uh in the first round i said no do not worry about the sixers they are not a threat. yeah I was, look at the season i was worried screen. yeah i was worried to you guys start to implode a bit out the blue and then when simmons went down i was like yeah this is this is no bad if he would have been healthy i would have been kind of worried though I wasn't. Yeah, but to me, it was whatsoever. It was always about Brett Brown versus Brad Stevens. To yeah. me, that's yeah. that is the yeah. thing, and especially yeah. when Ben. I mean, he was the first one to remember the picture of shoot a three coward, you know, on the shirts with uh, <laughs> so far away from uh, Simmons. Like he was like the first guy to do that. To be like, uh, all right, well, if you're not going to shoot threes, then we're not going to cover you out of the perimeter. And look, I just trusted Brad versus Brett Brown, like thousand times uh out of a thousand and um i that last game that the celtics won i felt more impactful to me it felt like a more real assessment of the two teams than the three previous ones so you know because opening night was opening night and then yeah. you know you had one Embiid game where he was just freaking it was insane. after charles barkley called him out and everything on tnt and so he was all up for it and I'm like you're just not going to get that uh you may get that from Embiid, but the rest of the team clicking, hitting all these threes and stuff just felt fluky. So I just felt like the Celtics were a better team than they were, for sure. Um, and, you know, we'll see moving forward. But, you know, I just was never buying into that. I mean, 
when people say we need to, you know, upgrade at center, who's going to cover and beat? I'm like, well, there's just nobody really that does cover and beat. And still haven't won. So to me, it's like, that doesn't really matter as much, especially if he's just shooting down low. I mean, if there's a three-point shooter that you can't cover, that's a problem. But yeah. when it's big like that, I think it's a little bit easier to, to game plan against. Sure. The one thing I think Doc will do, if like nothing else, that Brett Brown, I think he'll find like a better balance between Ben and Joel that Brett Brown kind of started to find the last two years. I feel like he had it the first year they were together, though. But then yeah. with all the roster moves and pressure to win now, it kind of got lost in the midst somewhere to where if Simmons off the court, then Embiid is super dominant. Then if Simmons is on the court and Embiid's gone, then Simmons gets free reign to do his game. And I feel that they coexisted really, like I said, really, really well that first year. But then this past season, it really, really got tangled up because the roster didn't do that many favors, either having no real space in or shooters between them. Yeah, and I think they, I I think that Joe, uh, you know, he was a such a beast the year before, not this past season, the season before, uh, and I think that he kind of took a step uh, to being a superstar, and yeah. kind of just was like, all right, this is my team, I'm the alpha, and I agree, I think that it should go through a beat, but uh, but and then Ben not shooting, I think really really rubbed people the wrong way on the team because you know the coach is out there. Literally saying to the media, I want him to average at least a three a game yeah. uh, for the rest of the season. I want him to shoot a three, at least one a night. And he, mm-hmm. he didn't shoot, he shot like two the rest of the season. Like and the entire if, rest of the season. And then if he's not shooting, then MB kind of has to play further out the paint than he really needs to be. And he's forced to take some silly three every so often or some questionable mid range shot just because that's kind of where he has to be at by default because yeah. with him Horford and Simmons is like Ugh, so yeah bad. so bad so, <laughs> so gross I just can't I can't believe that we like tricked ourselves into thinking that was a good idea right. <laughs> I, I think y'all kind of I feel like y'all had the formula at least like two or three times but then they just wouldn't stick with it like the Jimmy Butler team Oh yeah, I thought that was. I thought that bit three was going to be special, especially you guys just kept shooters between him, um, between Ben, Joel, and Jimmy. And then y'all traded for Tobias, and then it kind of that's when it kind of started to get a little wonky for me. Yeah, the the Tobias trade was super unnecessary. I think that yeah. uh, like I remember it was the day before the deadline. It was like at midnight. Um, getting a woke <laughs> alert on my phone and being like, "What?" I mean, cool. And then I look at what they trade. I'm like, "Wow." Yeah. They better win a championship this year. Exactly. Uh, I feel like separately, if they were if they both happened like independently and didn't like if y'all only traded for Jimmy and never traded for Tobias, it'd be good. And if y'all only traded for Tobias and never for Jimmy, it'd be good. But then both together didn't really make a lot of sense. So right. you'd have if really been cap strapped if you paid both of them. Well, I think that's the thing, is like if you're gonna do that, you better bring them both back or at least pick the good one. Uh yeah. The alpha star, and I, I think Butler was a lot more of an issue in the locker room than people um, really talk about. Uh, at least for like, he just doesn't care. He wants to win, and he just he's he's Michael Jordan without the championships. Like a real abrasive <laughs> win at all costs. I will slit your throat. I don't care who you are uh, mentality, which obviously is going to rub people the wrong way, but no. fits really well in Miami in that culture, but. 
uh, with Brett Brown, you know, you know, smoking a peace pipe before every game, you know, talking kumbaya <laughs> and all this stuff, you know, and Jimmy Butler calling him out to his face in front of the team. I think that that was an issue and that uh, I think that's why they didn't go after um, they, they chose Tobias over Jimmy. And I think Jimmy probably wanted to leave anyway, but boy, yeah. that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Cause you're right. He was so a guy that, was, that actually handled the basketball and shoot threes, you know, exactly. not great, but he would shoot And that's them. what y'all need is that off the dribble scoring threat between Ben and Joel since Ben won't shoot and he's more pass first guy anyway. And well, I think like, we got Shake Milton. That's fine. <laughs> he got Shake Milton. <laughs> <laughs> and I really do like Ben's game next to MB, even though I feel like MB isn't the perfect fit next to him. Right. Yeah. Right. No, you don't. But yeah, I feel I really do. Because Embiid doesn't need to be super ball dominant like throughout the course of a full game because he doesn't make the best decisions when he has to pass out or retreat for anybody else. Right. So you could. Eat. Yeah, he can eat. So, like, I, said, I think I said this somebody other day. I think Embiid can be your best player, but he doesn't need to be like the league guy to um to a sense like you don't want him having the most you don't want him like having the most touches over the course of the full game right you don't want just like spam it to him all game in the post and say go do something right he's you not Jokic. he's not Jokic. you can get other people like exactly you, you can run everything through him i think uh your offense should be built around the talented center that you have but yeah. not every play needs to you know, exactly. have to touch the ball and decide what to do. I think, especially he, Ben's value is passing, passing, rebounding, defending, transitioning. Joel's such a dominating presence on both ends when he's really locked into. Remember, he was um top three defensive player of the year not too long ago. Yeah, he's absolute beast. Exactly. I think he's that he, type of guy who just changes the whole game plan when he's on the floor. So you don't need yep. to give him that many touches. He can go out there and rebound and create extra touches and get to the free throw and lock in defensively and create extra possessions for y'all or get things going to transition for Ben. Then to where if y'all had that other perimeter threat, then there's no more doubles for Joel to where he doesn't have to be forced to make those decisions passing out and so forth. 100%. I think that that's what they're going to try to do. Um, it's going to be tricky, but like I said, I think Daryl Morey is the guy that, that Absolutely. I would trust. He's going to be super aggressive with it. And we'll see if he what he does before next season. Uh, he may make one or two moves. Uh, we'll see, but I, I'm I don't anticipate him trading one of Ben or Joe uh, at least before this season. But um, again, with him, you just don't know, especially because he comes in with no attachment to anybody on the team. Right. He can come in and be like, "I built this, you know, perennial winner down in Houston." Trust me, I know know what I'm yeah. doing. You trade one, but I just don't know what you're going to get back for. You're just never going to win that trade. Exactly. So, Do you I think that the uh, that extending Elton Brand was the right move? Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like what they did with Brett, where it was like you weren't really put in a great position to succeed. Yeah. So we're not going to do you dirty like this. I mean, they hired someone above him. We hired a new boss, and he's now the decision maker, but. I think they believe in him uh, growing into a future top executive. Um, everyone just raves about him as a person. He's got great relationships with agents and players around the league. Um, 
but he made some pretty bad moves, or at least his name was on some pretty bad moves. And, um, but again, uh, to me, it was like, I don't necessarily have an issue with him. I have an issue with the the owners and uh, all of the little Colangelo spies that got left over that were still kind of pulling strings here and there. And I just, just purge that system, you know, just dump, flush them all out. Uh, And Elton, I don't equate him with Colangelo, so. Yeah, and um, Maury had a good quote, like, not too long ago before I actually started this podcast, was, um, like, as I started today's episode, he said, you don't build guys to play within a set system, you build the system around the talent of the guys, which is admittedly kind of, like, contradictory to <laughs> the last couple of years in Houston, <laughs> but right. he's right, though. <laughs> well, he built it around Harden, and that was that, like, that yeah. was the, his guy, and um, we'll see, and that's, I, I just don't think you could, you can't replicate what he did down there. I mean, people uh, are saying, oh, trade Ben for, or Joe for Harden. Like, like, but even on. then, it's like, you, you still need Covington, PJ Tucker. You need, exactly. I don't know about Westbrook, but you just, you know, you need another star there. To me, it's like, um, see what you can do in Philly with what you have. Try to get out of the, the roster, just hell that you're in, uh, and see if you can find a like just more complimentary pieces for the two guys that you have and see if maybe doc can work some of his magic on Ben and get him to shoot some freaking threes. Uh, Because Kevin Love had a great, uh, Abby Chin asked, uh, we had a one-on-one with Kevin Love like five years ago uh, when he was just having his breakout season or like the year after his breakout season with the Timberwolves. So maybe it was six or seven years ago. I don't know. Time is a flat circle, but uh Jared Sollinger had started shooting threes and Abby asked Kevin Love, you know, what are some uh, tips that you would give someone like Jared Sollinger, who's a big, who's starting to shoot threes and Kevin Love, I'll never forget this. He said, don't wait till the summer practice now, shoot them now, just be okay with misses. Uh, Cause there's just, you can, you don't have to wait until like, all right, well, I don't want to screw up my game now. Just do it now. It's part of your game. You need to get used to shooting them in games. It was like, such a great answer. Uh, and I wish that that someone would talk to Ben Simmons about that. Like, don't wait until the summer where you're with, you know, your Instagram cameras and everything. Just get you know, the perfect workout videos. Just just shoot them in games. Miss. It's okay. It's okay. We're, we're he doesn't have to make them. Just, yeah. I think Marcus Smart did that. Yeah, the threat right. of him shooting just has to be there. Great example. Great yeah. example. Marcus Smart, who's the Celtics record holder for threes in a game. <laughs> Um, who, <laughs> who literally won them playoff games <laughs> shooting threes, who yeah, was, right. for the first three years of his career, the worst three-point shooter in NBA history yeah. with that body. <laughs> and and now he's a league average shooter. And yeah. you add that to his defense, and he's like an incredibly valuable player. And yeah. Ben Simmons, elite defensively. So uh, awful shooter. And to me, too, it's, it's, it's also not even just about threes. It's about free throws. Yes. Man, that is something, especially in Philly, you, you will not get forgiven for. Yeah. If if this fat guy that lives down the street at the corner can go to the, the park and practice free throws and become a better free throw shooter than you, then that means that you're not working on it. Like, that's all that means. <laughs> so I think that uh, he needs to just work on his mechanics. I don't know. I, everyone talks about him shooting the wrong hand. I'm pretty sure he does. But yeah. uh, it might be a little too late for that. Just get good with your offhand then. Cause I have to just about, just take the shots. Yeah, I was about to say, like, do you think that 
right where we are right now with Ben Simmons that he's I don't want to say the finished product but like in terms of adding another element to his game like he's already at the peak do you think he can actually add the shooting because what what I was hearing was that he he was being told to to shoot in high school and refused doing that through high school and college to now in being in the NBA where it's still it's still the same thing you know, it, uh, I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence. So no, I don't. I, or yes, I do think he's probably a finished product in terms of that. But I hope he's not. I think that, you know, it, I'm not like, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm not a finished product. I try to do better <laughs> than everything I do. You know, I'm yeah, playing Nintendo yeah. Switch with my daughter. I'm trying to, you know, get really good at, you know, yeah. Smash Brothers. All right, because I want to yeah. beat these little <laughs> bastards on the internet. All right. <laughs> Okay, you know, <laughs> but so I want to get better, and I think that everyone should, and I think that he yeah. should add. He's so young, um, but you're right. It's it seems like a mental issue with him. It really does. It seems yeah. like it's something that, uh, like a hurdle, a block. But look, there's there like if he needs to see a sports psychiatrist, uh, that's they have them. They're incredibly common. Every team employs them. He needs to try. You know, go. You know, eat some peyote and have a seance in the desert or something i don't know but he needs yeah. to come to the point where it like people just need to hammer into his head like it's okay to miss you just need to get used to shooting you just need to get used to that being a part of your game because no like no matter what a coach tells a team when they're defending you know don't worry about ben simmons he's not a shooter they've been hammered their entire life when you see your your guy going up to shoot hands up so even if they've been told there will be that split second of hesitation and that's yeah. all someone like ben simmons needs yeah. so that's all that you need to just pull a guy an inch closer to you get a little bit more space for a teammate i just think that there's so much value in the attempt and that's why when people would complain about sullinger shooting threes and kelly Linick shooting threes and marcus smart shooting threes i always said man look brad stevens is really smart yeah. he wouldn't let them do that if it was bad like I think find value in the attempt because it's opening things up for other guys. And um and this isn't Doc first go around when Rondo couldn't shoot at all um yeah. them early years and he still was empowered to whenever he got in rhythm or he got left open to take the midi or step back and take the three. He even has like a couple of daggers from three back yeah. on yeah. during those days. Absolutely, absolutely. Rondo's a great example and but and Rondo's a great example because he was also a difficult uh, yeah, a difficult guy for a coach, especially yeah. two point guards <laughs> butting heads. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's Doc. Um, like a lot of people wanted the Sixers to get a like a like a hard ass coach. Um, they didn't want another players coach like Brett Brown, and that's look. Doc is a players coach, um, but he's not soft. Like he'll he'll hold you accountable, and I would love. Um, and I, I wonder if. So Ben Simmons had a relationship with Brett Brown from when he was younger because Brett coached his dad in Australia. So it's like, um, to me, that almost hurt. Like, I felt like like Ben just was too comfortable with Brett where he could just ignore him. And I think yeah. Brett probably, look, it's really, you can't, you can't bench your star point guard, but also you should sometimes. I think that yes. we'll see what doc does i think benching is extreme but there should be some sort of consequence if you're mm -hmm. if you're open and you don't shoot a three and we lose by two points 
uh, or just lose it all, you know, you're in trouble. Like there needs to be some, something more than uh, what they were doing before, because if, again, and it's not like he, you, he's got way less value than he's worth in terms of the trades because of his shooting, because of the mental hurdle, because of the mental roadblock. Yeah. Teams don't want that. They want to, they want every player on the court to be able to shoot threes or at least shoot them when they're open, even if they're bad, even if they miss. There's the cancer shot threes. <laughs> and I think sometimes, like, um, for players who are like Ben, who are the super high IQ guys, I feel like sometimes when they have a coach who they deem as less smart than them, that they kind of ignore their suggestions or ignore some things they say. Like, with Chris Paul, I think with we first got to LA. There was, used to be like the little rumblings or articles about he thinks he's smarter than Vinny Del Negro and doesn't listen to him, and that's a problem. Or I think we saw LeBron sometimes was uh like, but um yeah, with David Black he would just blow him off sometimes. But then when Ty Lue came in there, he earned that respect. When Doc got to LA, he earned Chris Paul's respect. Doc fought with Rondo teeth and nail every year <laughs> and yeah. they still floor us together so yeah absolutely i think that would be that, good for him too i think it's a good it's 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 weird because uh the sixers ownership has made like some really awful choices in the past couple of years that it's like i just can't even believe it my brother texted me a picture of doc and maury together he's like i still can't believe this and i can't <laughs> it's crazy but it's like the uh, the, the eagles winning the super bowl you know, I, I'm still not really sure it's real, but it feels feels really good right now. Um, you know, it's all on paper, though. They yeah. still have a terrible roster. Like, I don't care. You could have Phil Jack. You could have Red Auerbach coaching this, the Sixers with that roster, and they wouldn't uh, win a championship. So yeah. um, they still got to prove it, but at least there's there's hope. And look, you know, it's not not necessarily, like, encouraging for Celtics fans, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't worry. The Celtics are still until the Sixers prove to be formidable in the postseason. I think the Celtics are fine. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. I was crap. I had a brain fart just now. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but and um, that's what I was gonna say. I think um, and if they both buy in, I think um, Embiid has bought in easier than been in the past throughout their tenure together too. So I feel like this year, if both of them finally fully buy in 100%, that there's like a culture, a whole 180 that they have to. 100%. And especially, look, uh, I can't remember who said, I think it was one of the, the Sixers uh, podcasters that I listened to that said, I just want one Instagram video of Ben and Joe working out together in the offseason. <laughs> like, I know now it's a little bit hard for that, you know, with the pandemic, but yeah. it would just do wonders, I think, to just for them to just put on that uh, outward appearance of, you know, really caring about doing it together, you know, because yeah. that's what we want. We don't want just one superstar. What's great, the process, the years of tanking was to get stars, and that's what they did. For sure. Right. Got two of them. Do you, um, you think Hinky got shafted? Yeah. Oh, knife right in the back. <laughs> uh, and it's the Celtics or it's Boston's fault because if Okafor had gotten that fight in Boston you know, <laughs> I remember <happened>. that <laughs> but no it, it's it, yeah he got shafted he did uh, who knows what would have if he would have been good at building a winner he was great at building teams 
uh, or at identifying, you know, some players that other teams hadn't really uh, or had given up on or hadn't given a shot to, like the McConnells, the, uh, the Robert Covingtons of the world. Um, you know, they drafted Jeremy Grant. There's, there's countless uh, players that were slept on by other executives that they got a chance because Hinky was not trying to build a winner. He was trying to build a team that was bad, that wouldn't win games so that they could get more and more draft assets and better draft odds and try to hit a home run in the, and the reason that it worked is because Okafor is a great example. He was a bad pick, but when you have so many, it's okay. Cause you still got Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So, um, right. and you know, Nerland's Noel didn't work out, but at the end of the day, those are the kind of moves that uh, you can make when you have years to tank and lots and lots of picks. So, yeah, he got You're not playing for anything, so. Right. So, and it, it's hard to switch the culture around. Um, so it's actually kind of incredible when they did um, make the playoffs that first year when they lost to the, the Celtics. Um, it was like people forgot that they were just the year before. They won like 25 games. It's like they were a bad, bad team. You know, and Markel Fultz was a disaster. But uh, at the end of the day, they – Hinky set them up with so many assets and it's, it's frustrating as a fan to see how they've squandered them. But also at the end of the day, look, they still have Embiid, they still have Simmons. And, uh, and now they got Hinky's boss in Houston, Daryl Morey running the show. So. Right. Do you, uh, you have a list of free agents you would like to target? No, because I just assume that they can't get anyone. I, I haven't even, looked, you know, it's one of those, like, I just, who, who could they afford? Um, yeah. You know, I think it's all going to be via trades, um, draft night, maybe uh, move their pick. We'll see. I think. What pick uh, do y'all have in the first round, like the 20 or something? 20, 20, early 20s. I'm not sure the exact, like 20, 21, 22, something like that, because they got the Thunders pick. Yeah. Um, so wait, so is that y'all only pick? Y'all have two first rounders. That's the only pick. Okay. Um, but it's, it's something else. And we'll see. You know, uh, last year they made a great pick uh, with Thibel, but Ainge read Brand. I mean, Brand was telling everyone that would ask, oh, yeah, we want the piece Thibel. So Ainge said, oh, you do? Well, I'm oh. going to take him. I'll take uh, the first pick in the second round, please. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if Carson ends up working out. But um, that trade uh, was was an example of why it was so dysfunctional and it was so frustrating being a sixth man because like you can't like tell everyone who you're gonna pick because then a GM like Danny who's got all these first round picks is like look if we end up getting stuck with eyeball oh well you know and sure enough the Sixers bit and gave more assets away and uh Thibault, I think is gonna be you know a really good player but yeah great defender we'll see if he can do anything else but again like He's, I think he is who he is. He may get a little bit better uh, offensively, a little bit uh, more consistent shooting uh, and hopefully a little bit better uh, handle, but they got him to be just Brian Dawkins on defense, you know, just <laughs> ball hawk and yeah. mix things up. Yeah. All right, right. right Do you have a list of um, draft prospects or anything? So I'm pretty out the loop on this draft, so. Uh, you know, it just started uh, – just started looking at draft stuff. I don't have a list, but we have our uh, preview show, I think, in a week. So this is my my big prep week for all the draft stuff. So I have not uh, – don't have a huge list for that range because uh, it's not a – I know it's not a great draft at the top, 
but uh, it's apparently pretty deep and deep with players that the Sixers need. Uh, I like uh, I like Cole Anthony from North Carolina, Greg Anthony's kid. Uh, mm-hmm. I a couple mocks where he goes to the Sixers, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. I've seen some where he goes to the Celtics too. Yeah. Um, I think he would be a great fit with the Celtics as well. Um, yeah. People, for some reason, are really down on him because, like, it was one year, and he's the kind of player that Danny wouldn't have any issues drafting because I remember Jalen didn't shoot great his uh, one year at Cal. And Jalen Danny was such was, a reach. <laughs> well, and Danny in the in the in all the press conferences afterwards was like, well, look, we've been scouting these guys since they're in middle school. You know, like, yeah. uh, we believe in his shot. We believe he's a good shooter. He had a down year. Um, and I think that's the uh, the deal with Cole Anthony. I think he just had a down year on a weird team. On a yeah, but he was um, he started out on fire the first couple of games of the season, though, didn't he? Before he got yeah. hurt. Yeah, he did. He was. I remember just being like, "Whoa, he's an NBA player, for sure." Yeah. Uh, and then he's just kind of like people have soured on him. But to me, I think that uh, he could be a guy that falls a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what his potential is. I got to watch all his. Uh, his YouTube videos uh, to really do my breakdown. Cause I only watched the pot. Like remember draft express used to be awesome. You could watch. Yeah. Cons. I would always skip the weaknesses. Just, I want to see the strengths. Yeah, I want to <laughs> see, you know, who's going to be great. I remember seeing OGs, OG Ananobis and being like, that's Draymond green right there. And sure enough, I mean, he may not be Draymond green, but he's he a might special be better. <laughs> right. Yeah. At this point, he's a special player. And I think that, uh, Whereas every Sixers pick, I'll be like, I'm looking at the weakness video. Oh, Okafor can't cover pick and rolls. What are we gonna do? So, uh, <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll do some some video breakdowns. I don't I don't have a great handle on who I, I want either the Sixers or Celtics to take, but Cole Anthony's yeah. the one guy I keep my eye on. Okay, what's up with the um, kid who went overseas instead of going to college? Um, Hampton. R.J. Hampton, I've seen. Um, what's his deal? Is there? I haven't heard much buzz about him. Is people high on him? Low? You know, I've seen some. I think people are low on him. He was originally one of the top guys. Um, yeah. In the class, but he didn't play good, and I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, just because he was like touted and he's athletic, uh, he just doesn't play basketball that good." And those are the kind of players that never really end up working out. The ones that are like yeah. they've got all the tools, but they're not actually good basketball players. Like remember yeah. James Young. James Young had the most beautiful <laughs> shot, but the ball never went in the basket. That was yeah. the only problem. The only issue with James oh, Young man. is that he, his beautiful shot never resulted in an actual made basket. Yeah, yeah, and he didn't. Basket. And he didn't work on anything but his it, shot. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was so he convinced he was going to work out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, we all were, but yeah. uh, it's not. Oh, how yeah. Was that happens. And so, um, piggyback back to Okafor. I thought Ultrafro was a good pit, but I, I got stuck in the wrong era of basketball, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like the shift happened, like, at the worst possible time for him. So had yeah. this been, like, five, six years ago where you, like, feed post-up bids all game long, he would have been yeah. awesome. But then he got drafted, like, right in the middle of the three-point revolution. Oh. So <laughs> The analogy I made was uh, it's like drafting a big like him was like having great handwriting. You know, that's beautiful penmanship. But it's way more efficient to just send an email, right? Yeah. Just right. type it up. <laughs> you know, we, you know, it's nice. It's a cool thing to be able to, you know, write a nice letter and send it to someone. But at the end of the day, just type, just send an yeah. email. Uh, yeah. So, and that, and it ended up being worse than I thought because even his offense, uh, I think that he was not as good a passer as we thought he was going to be. Um, and 
I don't know. He's, he had a little bit of flash uh, with the Pelicans, not this past year, the year before. But, he wasn't you know. as uh, he wasn't as agile as he needed to be for like consistent NBA level ball either, especially for like a big guy. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, that's a bad one, especially Porzingis went right next, right after him. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Noel would be a good um would be a good one too. I think Noel would have been better if he was in a better spot. Uh, his problem was attitude. I think that he uh, he kind of just thought that he was the guy. He thought he was KG yeah. out there. Uh, and look, he was special, I thought, uh, defensively, just instinctually. Just I, great think he still, I think he still could be there, too, if he just bought he into get, the right spot. Right, and he needs to understand his role. And I think that he'll get that. Uh, but that, like, my daughter will occasionally, uh, the eight-year-old will occasionally be like, remember Nerlens? Remember the eraser? Because <laughs> I, like, trained her that that was her favorite player. I'm like, no, 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 we don't talk about Nerlens anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we are we, we, daddy was wrong he did not end up being good but he was our first favorite because she liked his, his flat top looked like an eraser yeah yeah Nerlis is the only guy who um fumbled the bag when the role players were being overpaid boy he i he did fire his agent but boy that guy should go to jail uh, <laughs> the contract he turned down was like 80 million something like that <laughs> for the so he was shooting for the mats yeah uh, and then Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban was like, no. <laughs> what are we talking about? The one, um, the one owner or GO or whatever who you who absolutely would not budge. You tried to bully into the mass contract. He's like, not a chance, dude. <laughs> I mean, I thought, you know, I always thought he would be a good fit with the Celtics uh, in, um, but in like a Robert Williams type role or more minutes than Robert Williams is playing, but like just like a, maybe not your starting center, but a, a center that can come in and just, Impact yeah, the game because of his his shot blocking. Uh, uh, cool. And every time I say, every time I've in, um, mentioned like a free agent suggestion for at least like three years now, I get like six mentions of like um, Nerland. So <laughs> the fans want him, <laughs> and he's from Massachusetts at that. So I yeah, but I don't know if that's a good thing. I think he seems like the kind of guy that maybe you want to keep away from all his friends from high school. Because <laughs> um, some guys it works great, and some guys it doesn't. But uh, he would have been. Um, Back when he was young, if he had come up, like, that's the thing about the process is that who knows the damage that it did to some of these young players to not, yeah. uh, to, you know, they all tried hard. They literally, like, GPS tracked them to make sure that their speed was what their, like, average is. Like, they basically knew if they were loafing. So in games and everything, they tried really hard, but they, were, they weren't idiots. They knew that the roster was not constructed to win games. So even mm -hmm. though they were forced to try hard to win the game during the game, they knew that the philosophy of the organization was to be bad. So right. I mean, that, that's tough to overcome for a young guy, especially a kid that, that, that was not mature enough, I think, to be in that role and who would be. Um, but it does seem to have impacted him uh, pretty negatively. Yeah, especially because you're in that position, you're not supposed to win, but you want to come in and make a name for yourself, especially when you're the highly touted guy since high school or the top college prospect was supposed to be a number one pick. And then you yep. get in a position where you've been trying to win all your life, and now they're like, lose. It's like, come again? I know. That's why Okafor, I think he threw his jersey down when they drafted him. Uh, yeah. He was Okafor so was my, coming off a college championship. My phone is going to uh, gonna die, so I'm just going to put my charger in here. So my, my audio is going to change a little bit. Did it get worse? No, we can hear you pretty well. All right, good. Sorry. 
Alright, perfect. Yeah, I think uh, it's that's a tough challenge, but at the end of the day, it's all in the past. It got the assets. I when people say, you know, did the process work? I think it did. I think the goal was to get stars and it did. I mean, the goal was ultimately to win a championship, but it, you know, Pinky didn't have a chance. Yeah. Uh, and who knows what he would have done? Like I said before, like he could have been terrible at trying to build a winner, but he was great at building bad teams and getting assets and trades. Some of the trades, the Kings trade, the the pick that the Sixers traded the Celtics um, for the number one was from a, just a glorious, uh, just absolute thief uh or robbery uh, of Vladi Dibak and the Kings. That was um the Romeo pick we used on Romeo, right? Yeah. So you got that and the uh the Tatum pick because the Sixers yeah. had a the Sixers had a pick swap. So the Sixers finished five but and the Kings finished third but they had the right to swap. So oh, they swapped man. three. But they had two other Kings picks because the Kings were trying to like shed salary. And Hinky was like, cool, we'll take Miss Nick Stauskas and 80 first round picks from you to absorb these contracts. It was, it was pretty bad for the Kings, but it just shows you um, there's certain teams. And I think uh, the Sixers ownership was worried that Elton Brand was turning into this where other GMs, the really smart ones will start targeting them and be like, Oh, what do you guys need? Well, let let me help you out here. And they end up just stealing stuff from you. So um, (laughs) like Ainge did with, with the Thibel pick last year. So um, and when the Sixers made that trade with uh, the Celtics to move up to get Fultz, I was like, man, this is too good to be true. Um, I'm un- and I tweeted that day. I was like, I am uncomfortable with Brian Colangelo trading with Danny Ainge. <laughs> just not comfortable. Ainge does not lose trades very often. So I was kind of scared. We were, I thought I was scared. Fultz was going like, to blow up, too, when he, um, when he first started playing that um, rookie season. Yeah. We had the triple-double like two weeks later. Oh, I was like, yeah. Dang, this, this kid might be a problem. <laughs> right. It's like, good thing for Kyrie. He was special. He, look, every, watching, watching him at Washington, it was like, this is James Harden. Yeah, this is what we thought D'Angelo Russell was going to be. This is like, this is like an athletic Brandon Roy. This is like the perfect player for this team. Hmm. Uh, and then I don't know what happened. You think they um gave up on him too fast? It looked like he was starting to slowly but surely get um build his level of play back up in Orlando. Yeah, I don't. I hate the trade that they did. Um, I don't think he ever would have been able to do it in Philly. It's too hard of a market. Yeah. He's he's sensitive. He's he's different. He's a different kid, but he's nice. And, you know, um, and I think that it was just it was just too much of an act for that team at that time to be like, all right, you need to be the guy that is the final puzzle piece, and we're going to try to win a championship now. Especially uh, given his injuries, he had to keep dealing through and reworking his jumper. So the jumper, that was a lot of, yeah. yeah. Is, so much scrutiny on that. I, I hated the trade at the time. I'm like, at least wait until the offseason. There was no rush to me to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I really worried about Brett having too much control uh, of that franchise because, you know, I knew that Jonathan Simmons was a Brett guy. Brett loved him in San Antonio, and uh, he was just absolute garbage. <coughs> Excuse me. He was so bad, and they called it a first-round pick. It was like, that's not a first-round pick. It's a first-round pick that has protections on it that guarantees it to be a second. So get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> um, and he was the first pick in the freaking draft a year ago. Uh, right. 
So it was an awful trade. Uh, I think that it's good for him that he moved on and we've washed our hands of it as well, but that was such a stupid trade. <laughs> they should have waited yeah. for the off. Yeah. yeah, you could tell his confidence was like shot while he was there too. So that's a good thing they did. That's a good thing he did, you know. And he's trying to, like I said, rebuild it himself. And he's a starter level player at the very least at the moment. So, yeah, I went uh, before the pandemic. I went back. I like on NBA.com. I just I watched every single made field goal he had this year, and it was just you know it was just nice to see. The shot is still really weird. Um, yeah, was, yeah. But his, you know, when he gets into the mid game. <clears throat> Uh, it looks way more normal, uh, mm-hmm. and he's still incredibly sneaky, athletic, and long. Like mm-hmm. he dunks everything. It's and they come yeah. out of nowhere and they're like posters on dudes. Like you're just oh, it's jarring. So he's you know he's a special. He's guy. gonna get there. I, I think he'll eventually get somewhere close to his pre-draft height, but maybe not the like franchise changing star. But I think he'll be a really really great player. At some point yeah. in the next couple of years. Yeah, he's young. He's got a chance. Definitely. He looks really aggressive whenever you see his like highlights come across too. So Yeah, I'm pulling for him. Yeah, that's right, man. Good job. Well, so you worked at NBC Boston. So how did when did you get there exactly? So back how did in you let's say back in two thousand ten. Uh <clears throat> excuse me, two thousand ten. It was Comcast Sportsnet. I uh, I started freelance editing there. Um, I I worked at Nesson in the mid two thousands as part of my co op uh, at Northeastern University, and then uh, I got hired there after college. Uh, I left there and was working at a different uh, like website company. It was really awful, talking about like IT stuff like Windows, just real work. You know what I mean? Like actual right. job. Um, <laughs> So I had to, uh, I wanted to get back into TV and sports TV. So I had connections from my time at Nesson that worked at uh, what was then Comcast Sportsnet. I reached out, I applied for a couple jobs, didn't get them, but they brought me in as a freelance editor. And that's uh, how I got my foot in the door. Uh, and I've been there ever since. True, true. How is that um, working there after years of being the Philly guy? And now you're in like the rival market. I mean, it was great when the Sixers were not trying to win. It was like, it didn't happen at all. <laughs> Um, you know, and occasionally there'd be some flyers and Bruins uh, playoff meetings that were pretty, pretty intense. And that was back when I was really gung ho still about the flyers. I mean, I tell you, as I've gotten older and a parent, I'm like, you know, I, I take a step and I think just you get jaded a little bit being in the industry as, as long as I have been. And, and, you know, you start rooting for a result rather or like you're not rooting for a specific result. You just want the game to end. You're like, I yeah. like, look, I want my team to win, but at the end of the day, I just want it to end before this freaking show so we can get these highlights out of there. We go home, we don't have to retape anything. Um, but uh, it was fine. Uh, and it, it, it is still fine. I mean, it, it at the end of the day, like, I'm when they play each other, when the Philly and the Boston teams play each other, I'm indifferent. I don't impact the outcome. I'm like really good at being, you know, objective and professional during uh, during the games. And I don't really have a chance to be, you know, opinionated uh, too much uh, to imp- like to make it like be negative for our, our TV show. I'm just, you know, at the end of the games, we the thing with basketball is that you can't have anything done until the final, you know, until yeah. the, the buzzer at the end. And so we have to update so many graphics uh, like really fast. So yeah. um, 
I don't have a chance to be like, oh man, I wish the Sixers did this or that. You know, it just full bore ahead. And what's nice is that I want the Celtics to win most times. Like I really do. I you can't cover a team for as long as I have and not root for them. Uh, and it's good for us. You know, it's good. I want to keep. You know, I wanted our season to go longer than it did. Um, but uh, what what's great is that I'm happy when they win, but I don't get sad when they lose. You know, unless it's the last game of the season. Um, so. To me, that's like the best of both worlds. It's like cheating almost. It's like I just get <laughs> only positive because, you know, when people are upset that the Celtics lost at a buzzer beater, I'm just like, okay, we're moving on. You know, let me fill in these graphics here. Let's get ready for this show and that. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it works out pretty nice. And it helps me, uh, I think, um, quell some of the – when I'm on Twitter and I see people like really upset Celtics fans, I'm like, look, can I give you guys some perspective? Yeah. I'm a Sixers fan. You guys are fine. <laughs> Everything's gonna be okay. Right. They're they're just like so end of the world out for like the silliest losses at that. Yeah. We could lose and like the really... tip in at the buzzer and fans are just on the edge. It's like it's... gosh, you're telling me. Nah. It is though, it's every fan base. Every fan yeah. base. Like that. It's it's just this is the one that we have on our timeline. <laughs> that OG Anobi uh shot. In the oh man, that was that one, cru- that sucked so bad. That, <laughs> that was actually one that um did hurt. I just lied. I told you that I don't care when they lose, but that one I was like, ah. Oh. But it was they were still up. They were up two one, and then that one happened, and you're just like, you know, or they were up two zero, and that happened. You're like, all right, right. I think that's how. What were they? They were up two zero when that. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, it was two zero. Game, game three. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, all right, all right. You know, it would been great to be up 3 up, but there's still it's still 2-1. And then you start thinking, like, oh, man. Yeah. But if they lose next game, it's 2-2. Two, two. Um, and then game seven, going into game seven, I was like, oh, I'm so mad at that shot. I'm like, oh, if it weren't for that stupid shot. Yeah. And Taco was in. And they got screwed because man. the barrier was the the court, the dimension. There's usually not that much space. Yeah. So Lowry was so far back. Yeah. Um, that Taco was completely irrelevant. Really? Yeah, he could stand so Larry could stand so far back because there were no fans. Um, yeah, that's true. They got completely screwed by that. And uh, there's one other thing: if it was that series or the next series where being in the bubble really like had a negative impact on the Celtics. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, look, they got some bad breaks. Uh, Miami was on a mission to yeah. lose, to lose to the Lakers. And uh, <laughs> as much as I would have liked this, the Celtics to make it to the finals, I'm glad that they didn't lose to the Lakers. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying they necessarily would have, but that would have sucked. That would have sucked yeah. more than losing to the Heat. That I definitely would have hurt. hurt. Absolutely. And if LeBron is on the Lakers too, oh I would have had it's a double whammy. <laughs> double whammy. <laughs> I can't believe Rondo. Ah, it sucks. I can't I'm so believe. happy for Rondo. I can't even yeah. lie. I'm but happy for him and, and Bradley. I, I can't put my I can't put my fandom aside on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I try to tell people when uh when they ask about Rondo and like Celtics fans. I'm like, look, I still to this day argue with like they're maybe not so much now, but like within the past like three years, people are still arguing with me that Rondo was the best point guard in the NBA. And I'm like, that's the impact he had on these young Celtics fans exactly. who were just coming fans when that big three era started. And he, you know, everyone was like in Pierce and Allen and KG and Rondo was like the homegrown player, the unsung hero. Exactly. And he was the one that became the all-star towards the end of that. Era. Probably, I was like, 
14 when Rondo first like made his first All Star team and started legit ascending. And that's when I like really piqued my interest. So it's like I can root against like former Celtics and want them to fail. And like like I can poke fun at Terry Rozier and like he 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 or him. But then I see Rondo like doing anything well. It's like he might have like one good game out of like twenty. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, let, me ask you let me tell you one thing that really that really uh really pisses me off is and you're probably one of these people too. I'm just gonna judge you right now. Um <laughs> the people that say the only reason the Celtics were able to come back and beat the Bulls is because Rondo got hurt. Uh three years ago oh, in the play- yeah. first round playoff series. And I tell you, the, he was only good for one and a half games. He no, I said, no, I brought you, I say that all the time. He was only yes. good for game two and maybe bits and pieces of the first game. Right, yeah. right. And Isaiah, like his sister died the night before. Yeah, exactly. It was like, and he still scored 30 points. It was like, it, the whole team was, was screwed up in the head. Yeah, you just... You could see game one, they were good for structures, but he was ultimately, like, pressing the whole game. Mm-hmm. And then you could see game two, their mental just wasn't in it. And the Bulls were just unrealistically on fire. Yeah, Like, Brooke Lopez was hitting, like, not Brooke, yeah. no, Robert Lopez was hitting, Robert like, Lopez. long jumpers. Like, okay, this is a whole nother. Cut it out. <laughs> no, <laughs> to me, it was uh, – and Ronda would play a great game and all, but I remember, like, that night thinking, can't wait to see what Brad does. Um to handle Rondo uh, for next game, for game three. And then that came out that Rondo broke his hand in practice or whatever. He's probably at altitude, you know, trampoline, you know, park like he was in Boston when he slipped in the shower. Um, <laughs> but, um, but no, I just remember being like, and everyone's like, oh, the only reason that the Celtics won four straight games was that uh, Rondo got hurt. I'm like, come on. The whole, the whole season, he was trash. He played exactly. one good game and everyone's like, Playoff Rondo, playoff Rondo. Look, he's a good player <laughs> still to this day. But at that time, like, come on. Yeah, he's come such on. a per- he's such a he's such a lazy player at this point in his career. He like turns it on maybe once every other week or so, and then during the playoffs, he finally actually plays within the team. Like Lakers fans couldn't stand him all season long. Oh, I know. You now they love him. Hurt. They tried right. to trade him so many times. <laughs> they did. Then he comes in like starts hooping against the Rockets, and they like love him. Right. <laughs> I, know. I don't blame him though because that is that's tough that's like uh david Krejci and the bruins where it was like god uh where are you in the regular season you're just the worst like you're incredibly <laughs> overpaid like, i can't believe you're paying this guy that much money he makes more money than like jonathan taze patrick kane all these guys and then the playoff comes and he's wayne gretzky and it's like whoa all right <laughs> But That's hockey's crazy. a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but um, being in the studio up in there with all the former Celtics guys, you to, you're face-to-face with Tommy, who's a, a legend. You see Scal, um, Cedric works there too, right? Cedric does not. Uh, I've, I've met Cedric many times. He's there um, as a guest for a lot of our shows. Oh, okay. He's the radio uh, play-by-play. He's the radio guy. But, but yes, yeah. I have met him several times. He's hilarious. Yeah. So how's um how's Tommy in person? I mean, he's exactly like you would think. I mean, he is <laughs> a really old guy that uh, and he just loves talking about basketball and just stories. And it took about three years. So at my desk in our old building in Burlington, I had a little spare chair that just I don't know why it got left there one day. And so I I used to call it my office. Hey, step into my office. Have a seat here. And that Tommy just 
started sitting there because I would always print out his articles and his, uh, his stats and leave them right there for him. And it took about three years for him to realize that I'm always joking. Cause he, I would just say like something sarcastic to him and he would just look at me like, to <laughs> go back to reading and but a really great guy really super nice and the stories that he will tell about like you just have to say one thing and he just goes off on some crazy story from 1967 selling car insurance here and then red arbeck said i mean wow and every time we're like why aren't we recording this yeah. but yeah tommy's great um he's he's uh He's set in his ways at his age when it comes to how we do the show and everything. So he's a bit more of like, we have to produce around him sometimes. Just like, well, we can't really do this uh, because Tommy won't bite on that. Um, Scal's a little bit more malleable, but he's also, you know, the analysts are kind of, they kind of run the show uh, or they, they don't run the show, but like we produce the shows for them. Uh, okay. And Draper, the, the host, just Kyle does whatever we ask he's amazing he's he's by far the mvp because no matter who the analyst is it'd be manix be jack mcmullen it'd be tommy heinson and brian scalabrini kendrick perkins he's he's able to roll with the punches and do whatever we ask so uh pretty fortunate that i've been able to work with someone like him and uh and get to you know rub elbows with tommy and you know yeah. tommy always always believed in uh in marcus smart shooting he said that uh he taught him a trick where he would put a piece of tape from the basket to the line and just watch your feet, watch your feet, make sure they're landing one foot on one side of the line. And look, I'm going to give Tommy credit for Mark's becoming a big shoot. <laughs> oh, love Tommy. Oh, how's Perk in person? So Perk, I've only met virtually. We did a couple oh, of zooms no. for Celtic census, but you know, I know what you mean. Perk is great. He, he, again, another guy that's exactly the same as you would think. He is always on. <laughs> He's okay. uh, clowning around. He is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And, again, he made our shows. Like, yeah, he's really good when he's on with you guys. But this, mm -hmm. but I think it's just an ESPN like, thing that they tell their like, on-air guys to act a certain way. or Because like, with you guys, he's really like fun and natural and chill then he gets to espn and he's just like firing off tapes and <laughs> yeah i'm not a big fan. i know yeah he's yeah. super takey uh but like i wanted you guys to hire because he was like say so he's really good on air which uh like he had to um when he first called a game he gave um tice a perk point i think <laughs> yeah oh, so funny i mean so funny i remember saying like i love perk i love when he's on but this might get old this might you know the audience might you know you know, they might get tired of it. And after a couple more, I'm just like, nope, get him on every game. This is yeah. incredible. Yeah. So the things that he says, he called uh, for one of our, uh, we did the Celtics classic games when the pandemic first hit, we were just airing old games and we would get players from those games to come on and, and Scout would interview them. And I was behind the scenes watching. And uh, he, he said, he was on one about the one of the 08 games and he said, Pau Gasol, he was softer than a hot Twinkie. And I was just like, I've never heard that, but I'm dying. I texted my other guy, I'm like, did you hear the hot Twinkie? Um, he's got some good, their perkisms, they're phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, have you met any of the current players like, in passing or during like specials y'all have done? Like, have you met yeah. any of them like, face to face? 
Marcus Smart I did an interview with this past year um, about memes, which was fun. Yeah, I that. Um, uh, yeah. And <laughs> I met them all at some point in passing, but Terry and Mark, when he was here, because Terry was on post up, we had to deal with him. So he came in a couple of times. We did the uh, the spaghetti ranch sandwiches, <laughs> spaghetti ranch and sugar sandwiches. Yeah, I remember that. I, that I went gross. and I got the, uh, I went to Wegmans and I got all the ingredients and I did not eat them. But he <laughs> did say that I did a poor job assembling it. <laughs> but, so I'm trying to think who else on the t- current team. Like Jalen came in. Um, I don't think I've ever met Tatum in person, but you know, and the other guys just you shake their hand or whatever. But Marcus is the only one that I actually sat down and I interviewed. Oh, okay. and you're a big part of bringing like the online Celsius culture to the um, broadcast like that. Like I think you um got all Aaron memes after every game. You showed him the um, Marcus and asked him if he's ever seen them. And yeah. like I busted out laughing when he said that he um actually has seen a lot of the stuff we tagged him at. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He he's he's online. He's way more online than people think. Absolutely. And like uh and he he embraces it. I remember he did a uh for cha- for his charity, he did an AMA and he was people asked him, he's like, I'll answer any question you ask me if you if you uh post it with a, a screen grab of your donation to my charity. And someone asked him what his like his like gave him two options for like medieval like torture. Yeah, the siege weapon. He was like on the guillotine every time. Yeah, <laughs> and he like added his own, and I was like, oh my goodness, he's like he's really leaning into this, and yeah, I'm, he's I'm awesome. Careful. And yeah, he he again. This is why uh, when people bring up Marcus Smart trades, I get it. Like you can't be so attached to players, but man, uh, that's uh, he, fits, he fits this this culture. Yeah, so um, fun great leader for the team he you know any team would love him but the way he just dives on the floor and stuff like that he's just a perfect fit uh and the way he just embraces the fans and the weirdness uh and just goes with it (laughs) i mean a lot of guys are just like what is that i mean i mean i should the first time i would show him to scowl he was just like hey nba players (laughs) like seeing that they're not gonna like seeing their head photoshopped on satan (laughs) Jesus, he's crossing over Satan. (laughs) Man, if if we ever lose Marcus Smart, I think that'll break my heart, man. Yeah, I'm being completely honest. I, 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 when we lost Paul Pierce and KG, I kind of knew it was time. So that that kind that if that didn't hurt as much. When 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 Horford left, like I'm still hurt over that. To be completely honest, I'm still hurt. <laughs> but if we leave, if we lose Marcus Smart, I might fly to to Boston myself. <laughs> right, so I, I was see what's up with Danny Age, man. Because I was fully prepared to root for the Pelicans part time during like the whole Anthony Davis stuff oh, yeah. last season, when it was so set in stone that Smart, Tatum, and Jalen were gone. I was <laughs> ready to order my Pelicans jerseys for the three of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. But I think with with Marcus, it really would depend on the on the return. Like the issue is his salary is like that perfect size it's, that can match with every deal, and right. um, it's one so, of literally the best deals in the league. He's he's one of the few guys you can say who was perfectly paid, yep. or even underpaid to an extent, seeing how um, valuable to the team he actually is. 
100%. Like, Marcus would have asked for the 20 mil, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be bad at it. Right? No, uh, look, and look, Danny did it again with uh, with Jalen as well. That yeah. deal that Jalen signed at the beginning of last Holy season, right before, I remember being so shocked that, that I was like, wow, it's oh, crazy that Jalen did that and he didn't go to restricted free agency. Uh, and I looked at the numbers and I'm like, look, 20 million may seem like a lot, but like this is projecting. It's not for what you've done. It's what you're going to do. And boy, yeah. that, is a, that is a bargain hey. now. Same with Marcus. And he did it with I Bradley. See. He did it with Crowder. He's good at identifying guys that are ready to exceed a certain number. He's, he's going to pay, um, have to pay Tatum the full match whenever they work yeah. out the yeah. free agency king spot. That's a given. I don't think that yeah. he's going to be able to get that at all. <laughs> no, nah, he won't have any problem nah. with that one. No. Nah. No, nope. and the Jalen deal, I say all the time. It's like I think like maybe a month into the season, I was like, "This guy was gonna get the match if he waited." Yeah, yep. I look at teams that always fish and like the Hawks are greatest. I was like, "Oh man, I was look, afraid." They need, of they need the Hawks. that too. I was afraid they of the Hawks getting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and he loves. Uh, I tell you what, though, he um, he loves his hometown, but I think he's he's so valuable in Boston, not just as a player, but like. <laughs> As, as a, a like, ambassador for the city, I think that he can do real, like, like he could change uh, hearts and minds in Boston, I think, uh, on race issues and stuff like that. He's just, he really, and I was obviously not alive when Bill Russell was, but he just reminds me of that kind of ambassador yeah. uh, for the game and for this city specifically. I think he could, he could play a valuable role here. I want to, like, text him. I don't have his number. Be like, you know, I love that you go to Atlanta. But yeah. like Boston needs you too. Like you yeah. could really move the needle here in Boston in terms of that stuff. And I think that they're so lucky to have him. Um, Absolutely. What a leader, what a young, and he, and I think that's what a lot of the issue was with Kyrie was that uh, Jalen was ready to be a leader. Yeah. And he yeah. had nine guys on the team that were vets ahead of him in the, on the yeah. totem pole. And then they're all gone. And now he's like, he's 24 and he's like one of like, the oldest guys on the team yeah it's the longest tenured and that's why i love the relationship between him and smart so i think they're kind of both like dogs in their own special way so it's like when you like during the heat series when everybody's like oh my god the locker room's imploding they're in there those two are butting heads and doing that if they hate each other it's like no mm. it's like it's a good thing because they're not gonna come out of that sour towards each other yeah. the next day they're going to come out of that whole exchange, shaking hands and dapping up in practice and going right back to business. Yep, 100%. And that's that's what that would not have happened. The no, that like, wouldn't have happened. Like, Kyrie you, you and Morris. That. Exactly. You need that accountability. Like, Marcus can scream his head off about missing a rotation, and he'll be like, all right, cool. Bicker back in. Then go back out there. Get back to work. And Jalen could scream at him about not giving him the ball when Brad is like calling his number for a play. And Marshall's like, okay, cool, whatever. Back to business, like right out there. There's no really lingering effect that you might see later on that same game or later on the games to follow. Right. And I think uh, it's a great mix because I don't think Tatum doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to be like a rah rah. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be fine. But he, yeah. he is more of like an Al Horford mentality where, you know, maybe more of a, a talker than that, but just really kind of like Just simple, the, the on-floor guy, the guy when right. they're just doing the stupid, the eventually Brad's going to be like, Tatum, go, go fix that. And then he'll go, 
and do Tatum things. Like when we were imploding, he'd look at Al and be like, "Yo, Al, go do something." And I'll be like, "Cool." Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He's that steadying force. Uh, yeah. He's only getting better. It's a good mix. It really is, and that's why when everyone was so upset that they lost to the Heat in Eastern Conference Finals, you got to listen to the talk radio just about you know oh you know they you know brad stevenson over his head danny failed the team you know why didn't they trade three first round picks for the guy off the bench and it's just like look they have a system they have a process how they do things they have a philosophy that ainge never ever ever deviates from he does not lose trades he doesn't overpay for role players that are heading into free agency he's not going to because then the next time he wants a role player, then the teams are like, well, you traded a first round pick for Alec Burke or whatever, or yeah. Glenn Robinson the third. So that time, so why don't you do it this time? So he just has a philosophy where he's like, I'm never going to do that because I don't want them. I don't want to lose that leverage. Right. And right. It, it, it's worked out. And could they have used another guy off the bench? Sure. Um, would it have mattered in the grand scheme? It's especially when we're talking about the bench. I always like, man, the bench is just, it's important to have one or two guys. And then it really doesn't matter in the playoffs because you're playing your, your, your number one, you're playing your, your top guys for most of the game. So sure. uh, I was just not really worried about it. And I think that, you know, Hayward's injury kind of screwed them. Yeah. Uh, Kemba not being uh, 100% kind of screwed them, but look, let's not forget. They got great minutes out of Brad Wanamaker. Uh, yeah. I don't think we can go a full podcast without mentioning that. I know that uh, I was a little bit critical of him in the past. I think we all have been, but yeah. I think, you know, if he doesn't come back to the Celtics, I tell you, there's a team in Philadelphia that um, could use his services. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's from Philly too. Yeah. 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 Who, uh, who are some tough. guys that you think that the Celtics will end up looking into uh, getting this offseason? Um. I, I don't know exactly who, but I can tell you the type of play. They need a score off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what they can do in terms of bigs uh, because, you know, Tyson, Cantor are under contract. Um, and I don't know what you can do. Like, how much of an upgrade can you get is to make a difference? Like, you would have to trade something of value to get something back. And is it going to be enough? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Whereas I think if, if they were just healthy, if they had a healthy Gordon, I think they the Lions. Bam Adebayo may not have been as he may not have been as he you know Gordon Hayward's not going to guard Bam, but if he was healthy, Bam may not have mattered as much. Yeah, uh, yeah. They play so, and I think Robert Williams. It's it's tough to bank on him, but because but he shows he shows some real signs during the playoffs. He is the player that they need. He he yeah. is the exact guy that they need. It's and look, I'm gonna be able to see this. Nice little poster there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm a believer in the Time Lord. I think that yeah. he's uh, like he's got some natural ability that uh, you can't teach, and I think that all of his issues are the only remedy for them. The only way to get better is to play more. Is and to play more. Yeah. His injuries really, really hurt him. Uh, obviously, but uh, they hurt his development too. Uh, also, his body, but um. And, and I think that if they can just get him healthy, uh, he he seems like just uh, seeing the interviews that he did with Abby during the playoff run and the bubble, mm-hmm. he's just like a different kid. He's totally mature. Like yeah. the first interview uh, when he was, he was late for the, uh, 
the phone interview after they drafted him. Uh, I remember, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was one of the Celtics PR guys like we are, um, we're gonna have to delay this till one o'clock because we are, we can't find Robert. <laughs> and it was like, oh, <laughs> um, and just hearing him talk, it was just like, it, it just was like, he sounded like a kid, which is he was, but now he sounds like a professional athlete. He sounds like a pro. He was talking about um, when Abby asked about his social, you know, the social justice stuff. He's like, it's about voting, but it's not just that. It's about, you know, I'm having all my friends and family fill out their census. Yeah. Um, you know, he just was like, you could tell that he really grew as a person. And I think that that matters for a player like him because a lot, it's so mental. What he, He's physically, I mean, he's incredible. Like he's an incredible specimen. Yeah. Um, and he's good at a lot of things. It's the choices that he makes on the court that uh, will ultimately decide whether he's a good player or not. But I think, I think if you're the front office, you're probably, you probably went into last year hoping that at one point he played himself into the starting lineup. Yeah. But yeah. they prevented that. And I think this year, again, I think don't be surprised if it's those three guys again, if it's Cantor, Tyson, uh, and Robert Williams. And that it's just kind of let's fight it out, see who's the better player. And hopefully Robert wins mm-hmm. that because he seems like yeah. the future at that position for them. Right. And he was um so va- he was like really valuable against the Raptors too, because oh, yeah. we knew that was a series that Cantor was in, like physically capable of playing given all his deficiencies defensively and then rob despite him kind of maybe timing out on that end every so often he still added a boost he was he left it back open too much but yeah. that's whatever he'll learn yeah. but for right. the most part he was making those key passes and grabbing rebounds and blocking shots here and there and even getting when out he, in transition so and even when he was leaving guys open um He's still contested, and he's such a freak and so long and so athletic that he was impacting shots yes. by late, right. late contests. And, you know, play, especially smaller guys, like if you got switched on to Fred Van Bleet, uh, how are you going to shoot against that? Yeah. You're tiny. Exactly. He's like my height. And shooting against a, a brick wall in front of you, um, mm-hmm. coming at you really fast, too. So um, I think that I was really encouraged with what I saw with him in the bubble, um, in the seeding games and in the, uh, the playoffs. So Again, uh, it's just it's just when you're building a team, it, it's hard for a guy that's lost, you know, missed so many games in his short career because of little injuries here and there that keep adding up. Uh, you know, I think you, you hope that he gets a little bit tougher, maybe, you know, fight through some of those things. I think the hip injury wasn't something he could have fought through. Um, but, you know, it just felt like every time he hit the ground, he was slow to get up, you know, in his early, early days, like Romeo, where it's yes. like, Every yeah. time Romeo goes up for a layup, it's like, all right, he's out for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And you never really got to see what he was capable of, but we'll see. Yeah. But again, I, no. I answer your question. I think they, they need a score, uh, someone that can come in. And I think everyone kind of thought, oh, Carson Edwards can, uh, can be like the Lou Williams. Well, I'm a Sixers fan. Lou Williams was not Lou Williams when they drafted him in the second round. Yeah. He took years and years and years yeah. to right. develop into that player that 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 accepts that role. You don't go from being the alpha on an NCAA tournament team uh, who's just on Sports Center every night because you drop forty points in a you know Sweet Sixteen game or whatever it was he did at Purdue mm-hmm. to being totally fine and comfortable with playing as a like a seventh man off the bench coming in to score. Like that's not easy. So. Yeah. You can see his game and say, yes, it looks like a Lou Williams type ability, but mm-hmm. it's so much about the mentality, about 
the approach yeah. of being able to come in and, and just every time you touch the ball, score. Um, so they need somebody that's ready to do that because I don't think Carson is. Uh, I think I Romeo can. I think Romeo can be that guy if he gets a clean slate of health, like yeah. relatively early next year. He can maybe, whenever they start the season, he could possibly be ready by camp. And I think he can get play get on um, PT on preseason, maybe work his way up from a five to ten minute guy to a regular rotation piece. Well, I think what uh, what what Marcus had, and you know. Romeo is not near Marcus's level, but what Marcus always had, the reason why he was able to become a good shooter uh, at the NBA level is he had, he was anchored to the court with his defensive play. And I think yeah. that Romeo has definitely shown signs of being a really, really absolutely. And Brad will play him like Jalen, his rookie year got yanked so quickly um, mm-hmm. out of the game. It was, he was like, look, you're going to learn to play defense the way I want you to, or else you're not going to play. I don't right. care where you were drafted. And I think with Romeo, I mean, we saw Romeo was playing. We subbed in the first quarter in Eastern Conference. Was it the finals or the second round? Um, where it was like really shocking uh, that he was getting early minutes and stuff like yeah. that. But Brad trusts him on defense, and that'll he be rotates. He rotates really well defensively. He's a long, athletic player too, and so so he can hound drives on off the ball. That he can a good him. slasher. He doesn't need the ball offensively. Yep, and that'll give him a chance to uh, to develop into the offensive player uh, that mm. he'll eventually hopefully become because the, you need that skill that'll keep you on the court. And uh, I think he'll his Brad's trusting him on, on the defensive end will mean that he'll just by default get more minutes. Absolutely. That's why I think uh, Gordon Hayward is one of the most essential players for Romeo. Between, between Hayward and Smart, I think those are the guys that he needs to like really stay with. That's why I don't want Hayward to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think anyone like the thing with Hayward is that it, again, it's all about what you're getting. I mean, I, to yeah. make a move just to make a move. I mean, Gordon was awesome, awesome yeah. this year for sure. Was so good, uh, and it was the per and he was he was a guy, an all star, former all star, who signed a max deal. And was okay being the third or fourth option on a team with a bunch of young guys. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. like that's not you, you cannot underestimate how important that is to have a guy of his skill level, of his stature in the league, accept that role. And, and he had excelled in it too. Yeah, and to score it was still, games, five yeah, assists. those were similar to his All Star numbers, just less strong. Mm-hmm. Right, right. He was great. He was really good. Because uh, yeah. remember, there were there was. They had three guys uh, averaging 20 points a game in the beginning of the season, the first couple months, and it was Hayward. It wasn't yeah. uh, Jalen. Yeah, it was before yeah. Jalen was around, like, 15, 14, 16 to start the um, season. Yeah. Then that's when, once it was when Hayward got hurt, then he finally took off as a um, scorer. And then when mm-hmm. Hayward got back, he stayed the course, too, if not got better. So mm-hmm. I know. And it, it, that, the, the again, I, we can't underestimate the mix, the good mix that they have. Absolutely. Make. And, and I wonder if Danny's a little gun shy after what happened with Kyrie, where it's like, look, on paper, you made some incredible deals that uh, you got Hayward, you got, um, you know, you, to add to Al Horford and you traded, you know, an injured Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie freaking Irvin. And it should have been a championship team or at least, you know, in the finals. And the mix, again, they were hurt. They got this freak injury from Hayward. 
excuse me, in the first five minutes of his career, and then, uh, and then that next year with with Kyrie just being a disaster in that locker room. That mix really matters, especially when you've got no. guys that are pushing for uh, for playing time. And boy, that locker room. And it's we like joked about, uh, you know, hey, well, the Celtics might not be so good this year, but at least they'll you know they'll like each other. And like that was kind of like an insult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because they signed Kemba, but it was like, no, like that mattered. It really did. Oh, for sure. Um, you don't want to screw with that. And I think that you make you make some some changes on the margins, you know, if you can get a better backup point guard, you know, because I don't think you can count like I think ideally you would be Marcus, but mm-hmm. you know, Kemba, you just don't know with that knee. You gotta have because if Marcus is starting, you need you need a better backup point guard as good as Brad yeah. was. Yeah. He's a great third point guard. Yes. Um, I think a, a good solid, like can start games if you need him to point guard. Yeah. And you know, maybe Tremont develops in the, um, a consistent player this season too. So looking forward to seeing Yeah. That we'll too. see with him. Definitely. I thought that was the plan. I thought, you know, let Wanamaker's contract run out and mm-hmm. hopefully convert, uh, Tremont to a regular contract. And, um, but we'll see. I don't know if they saw enough from him. Uh, he's so yeah. little. That's the problem. Yeah. And he got three first round pits. Yeah. Uh, got a wonderful hopefully. I honestly don't even think we need to use those picks. I, 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 nah, I want to. I want at least two of them traded. Yeah. 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 But I'll there's three. Danny won't trade him unless it's a, a de- like the problem is that everybody knows he's got three picks and he doesn't have the roster spots. So right. they're yeah. gonna be like, cool. Let me get that first round pick. I'll give you a second. And Danny's not gonna do that. Daniel, just to spite everyone, he'll take them. He'll yeah. use them. <laughs> uh, but, like, he, remember, was it 2016 when he, he had a bunch of picks uh, and he took Yabaselli and uh, Zizic? Yeah. yeah. He, he um, drafted Stash, so we should um, sign Horford. Yeah, so Stash, that's great. But, like, yeah. draft good players. Don't yeah, draft absolutely. just because you <laughs> That's my thing. You know, make sure they're yeah. getting guys that – or at least – you know, I think Zizic was a guy that at least um, retained value before they traded him again. I think he was uh, when Cleveland mm-hmm. traded for him, they probably thought he was going to be like a good player. Which yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there are only three guys that I can honestly say that uh, I could truly see not coming back next season. Um, it would be Wanamaker, Cantor, and Ojale. The, yeah. Those are the only guys that I could say that I would be comfortable if we needed to move someone. Those are the only guys I'm comfortable with moving with maybe a draft pick to get some shooter. Yeah, but no, I, yeah, the, outside of that, I don't think we need to do anything. Yeah, right. just draft well, get guys healthy, develop the couple of young yeah. guys, yeah. get great more minutes. Yeah, Grant's going to be a big, uh, big offseason for him because if he gets a shot to look, he was making them. Uh, yeah. Cash in the season after the season. <laughs> but yeah, after starting so bad. But yeah. I think that if he, um, if he becomes like a really consistent shooter um, from deep, that opens up so much of his game. But and he's got to work on finishing against length because he just you could watch. I mean, he couldn't score mm-hmm. against NBA centers yeah. uh, in college. That's all he did was score down in the paint. Yeah. But he's smart and he's so good uh, at the little things. He's like a forward Marcus Smart. I was yeah, like, he's I was like, about to say that. 
It's a big yeah, the setting screens too. I remember in summer league, like you know, he had like six points, three rebounds, and a block or something. And I was like, he had a great game. Did you see all the screens he set? <laughs> but still, it was like that was popping off the screen. And it, like just to watch him just like dudes were just falling, like evaporating when they hit him. Yeah. Uh, so and I think there's real value in that. Um, he just needs to not be a, a negative on offense, which you know, he's he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's you know, he knows what to do, he seems like a hard worker. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at his body's in incredible shape. Uh yeah. you know, I think I think a kid like that is someone that you you bet on and you invest in and I think that he will uh he'll be a, a great at least rotation player for them this coming season. For sure. Definitely. Pretty sure. Well all right, Matt, to um close out every show when we have a guest. We do a top five segment where I pick a couple of questions specific to the guests we have on and get your top five on those um topics. Let's do it. So here's three, especially for you. We always start with the generic basketball question. <laughs> so let me get your top five Sixers players that you've been a fan of since you started watching. Your top five favorites. All right, we got to go. Uh, Iverson, number one. Uh, Iguodala. Uh, well, Iguodala, I guess, would still be number two um, just because he was in my heart longer. Uh, yeah. And then we go Joel Embiid. Uh, ben Simmons is right there. And let's think. Might have to go with... Um, I'll just throw it back uh, to the old school and go Dr. J. Even though I never saw him play, I was too little. Uh, I did meet him once. Really cool. Oh, Good human being. Awesome. Cool. Philly guys, let me get your top five favorite artists from Philadelphia. They can be okay. rappers, singers, pop rock stars, anything. Um, Will Smith. No, just kidding. Uh, no, he's <laughs> on the list, but number one, the Roots. The Roots are by far, they're yeah. one of my favorite bands ever. Um, I'll go The Roots, Boys to Men. I grew up uh, listening to them. I sang some of them for some talent shows, <laughs> not gonna lie. I'm glad that there's no video of that. Um, <laughs> and we'll go, Meek Mill, because he had the great anthem for the Eagles winning the Super Bowl against the Patriots. I was just listening to that um, the other day. I'm going to throw Will Smith in there just because I'm running out of names that I can think of. <laughs> you put me on the spot here. And uh, who else is from Philly? I can't think. I'm drawing a blank. Jill Scott. <laughs> I can't think. I'm sure that there's a bunch that I'm forgetting, but I can't think of them right now. So that's it. Derek, uh, throughout Jill Scott out there. Oh no, Jill Scott, perfect. Jill Jill Scott, Scott, yeah. Yeah. Her her version of uh, "You Got Me" is better than the Eric Badu one. Okay, <laughs> that is a take. Spicy. Yeah, I like I, it. Yeah, I saw her perform it at Veterans Stadium. <laughs> awesome. And the last question, get your top five favorite moments as a sports fan in Philly. All right. So I guess I got to go. Um, I think Philly's winning. Now, Eagles winning the Super Bowl because uh, I watched that with my daughter. That was that was like a real fun experience. Uh, then uh, I'll go Philly's World Series, even though I watched that by myself in my apartment in Boston because 
there was a rain delay when I was in Philly and they had to, I, I had to come back to go to work. So I couldn't watch, couldn't be down in Philly for that. Uh, number three, I'm going, uh, the Flyers won game seven. And I think it was the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs in overtime with Jeremy Ronick goal, uh, in 2000, the 2004 Stanley cup finals it was with all my friends. Uh, and it was just that moment where you're with a bunch of your buddies and you just like, the whole series was on the line and Sammy Kaplan got a dirty hit from Darcy Tucker and was like mushy brain melting on the ice, like swimming all over the place. <laughs> they hooked him into the, uh, onto the bench. Jeremy Runnick comes out, scores the game winner in overtime. It was just one of the best feelings. Um, I want to say the Sixers getting the, uh, winning the lottery to get Ben Simmons uh, on May 17th of 2016, uh, because that was the night that my wife went into contractions for a second child. You notice how I can uh, get these right. things uh, together. Um, but it was, it was just so nerve wracking that whole night. I mean, my wife was having these contractions and I'm like, all nervous about the Sixers because that matters in situations <laughs> like that. And uh, so that's on there. And then I got to go, um, you know, Iverson stepping over Lou. Uh, mm. in game one of those uh, NBA finals against the Lakers. That was just a nuts game because Lou was pestering them all night. Uh, and they were the, the David and the Lakers were glad. Lake, that was the only game the Lakers lost that entire playoff was that yeah, game. Yeah, that's insane. Sixers. My sister who doesn't care about sports at all. I remember her knocking on my door like, are you watching this game? It was an overtime in LA. It was so late. Um it was a big moment, so that uh, that would be up there too. Awesome, awesome. How you feel about the um, the way the media up there kind of treated AI on his way out? Ah, uh, they suck. I mean, no. they you know it's Philly. Uh, I I'm not honestly, I'm not really sure how it is now, but because um, I've been gone for so long. But it it really was at the time that I was living there. It was like they were they were trying to be part of it. You know, they were trying to be more than just, you know, reporters. It was like, they were personalities. They were abrasive. Um, and it was combative. I mean, the fans let us throw the batteries, you know, right. the media doesn't need to, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, there, but it wasn't all, it was just a couple of them uh, because there are, there were some really great, great, uh, you know, journalists down there. Look, Stephen A was writing for the Inquirer when I was growing up. Um, and I always liked him. I, That's I, I want to think. I think he was. Uh, I think he slandered McNabb. I want to <laughs> say. And so I was a little off on that. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, now we yeah. know what we know about McNabb. I'm like, good. I'm Stephen. <laughs> team Stephen A. But um, you know, I it it is what it is. I I know that Iverson's come back and he's embraced a lot of those guys now. Um, so. He seems to have uh, mended the fences, so uh, and I don't think it's as bad as it was. You know, I don't think the media landscape is, could ever be like that anymore, um, yeah. because newspapers just look. You need the you need the ability to go cover these games, and if you're going to piss off players, they're going to limit yeah. that. And for sure. Exactly. You are you a T.O. guy for his brief stand there? Uh, I was until the, the push-up or the sit-ups in the driveway. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing Drew Rosenhaus on SportsCenter um, 
right like uh, it was like a week after the super bowl i was at the gym and <laughs> in college and seeing seeing like you know Rosenhaus demands new deal or whatever. I'm like, they just traded for T.O. It's like, what the heck? He's He's got more years on his deal. I didn't understand how it was back then. Um, but yeah, I soured on him real quick. Um, but boy, I love that. He had a heroic Super Bowl. Oh. He was playing on one leg and still just was a beast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was divisive. Uh, really screwed up that locker room. But I had a T.O. jersey. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we appreciate you coming on with us, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for uh, letting me talk your ears off for this long. Anytime, oh, anytime. Great. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, you take care, man. All right.